0: Natasha Taylor, and this is Open Classrooms, a podcast series produced by the Academic Development Group in Science, Engineering and Health at RMIT. In each episode of Open Classrooms, we talk to a member of staff who's trying out something new or interesting in their teaching. And our guest for episode 23 is Ash Morland from the Health and Biomedical Science School. She's going to talk about the work she's been doing to transform her first year course in research methods. Hello, Ash. Hello. Nice to get you here, finally. We've talked about it many times and it's, um, it's good to have you. Thanks for having me. And we're going to talk about research methods teaching. It's a subject very close to my heart. So start us off by talking to us about the course that you're focusing
1: on and your role within it and your experience of it? Sure. So, my background is in exercise science and I'm actually a neuroscientist. So, (laughs) in terms of research methods prior to teaching this, really the only experience I'd had was in my own research. Mm -hmm. Um, So, and then obviously my teaching background. So, when I took this course over, it was in microsurgery. So, that is a, obviously, program for poor performing courses. Yep. So it was performing, uh, getting consistently sort of low 60s in the CES. Yeah. Um, I read through some feedback that I had seen previously and I thought just really from the student's perspective, like this is a course that's offered first semester of first year okay. for exercise science students. Okay. Who are coming to university mm-hmm. thinking that university for exercise science means kicking, jumping, throwing, lifting stuff. Yeah, And then we put them in the classroom and <laughs> ask them to learn about stats, um, where they get pretty overwhelmed because a lot of them admit that maths wasn't their strong point. Yeah. And they just liked sports, so that's why they chose this program. So, to get them excited about learning that was going to mm. be a challenge. Absolutely. Um, so really the challenge for the course was students had no idea why they had to learn it because yep. they hadn't had that context yet yep. uh, and they found it really hard. Yeah. It's difficult, isn't it? It's
0: always where to put the research methods course in yeah. a, in a, a, a course or a programme. And you do want it early on because you need the students to have those skills as they go later later on in the other um subjects and topic areas. But yeah. it's it's the application. It's like you say, if they can't see any examples of where these things are um sort of manifesting in the real world, there's no authenticity to it and it's yeah. just
1: Exactly. So that's it. And I think um, we know how fundamentally important those skills mm. are because it's it really takes them right back to the start. So, literally, in my first week, I'll show them the difference between a Google search and a Google Scholar search. Yeah. And we'll talk about that and look at the differences there. But really- it's about conveying to them and getting them to buy in to how fundamental this course is as a pillar for everything, everything else is. that they're ever going to do. So that was really the challenge, and I have over a couple of years, mm-hmm. I think I've cracked the Da Vinci Code. So excellent. <laughs> <laughs> well, we'll hear
0: all about that in a minute. Let's t- first though, tell me about these students and where, what skills and um, things they're coming with. So presumably mixed experience of maths, mixed levels of you know, comfortableness with maths, I'm guessing. Yeah,
1: pretty limited. Um, most of the exercise science students, I think our entry scores usually around 60 to 62. Oh, okay. uh, and generally the students will admit that anything to do with maths they shy away from. So the problematic courses for us are things like um, stats and biomechanics is another big one. You give them a formula that looks like algebra and they'll freak out. So um, they're really hands-on kinesthetic learners and um, taking that knowledge and doing something with it so that I can still meet my learning outcomes but in a way that can appeal to them. Yeah, has really been the goal. Might they have had?
0: Because I don't know the Australian school system that well yet. Might they have had any kind of social science? methods sort of introductions at other points in their studies so far or potentially okay yeah but again you might just have a mixed mixed level of experience yeah. okay so it's every research methods teachers yeah. nightmare but yeah. you know the position most of us find ourselves in so talk us through then some of the changes you made and some of the approaches you, ta- you took. Yeah.
1: So really um, my teaching philosophy as much as possible is about problem-based learning yeah, um, and getting students to really, or an inquiry-based learning. So mm. getting students to buy into and invest in something that is meaningful to them as an individual. yeah. Um, so at a course level, the other thing that I was really thinking about, I was quite involved in the student belonging program. Yeah. And one thing that I was really conscious of is that these guys are coming brand new, literally. For some reason, this class is always timetabled on a Monday, so I'm the <laughs> first teacher that they meet. I'm the first class that they have. so. Unless they've got people that they knew who were also coming to the same program, they don't know anyone. Yeah. They're fresh out, like fresh into uni. <laughs> so, one of the things that I thought was pretty fundamentally important was to do as much group work as possible and getting yeah. them to team up and form those connections in class. Mm-hmm. And our classes are compulsory. So, that's an oh, accreditation okay. requirement. Oh, so, right, okay. at, at least our tutorial classes every week uh-huh. are compulsory. So, I know that I'm going to see them every week. Yeah. Yep. Um, So, the first thing I do is in week one, I ask them to pair up so that they've got that immediate connection. Um, Then, really, that peer-to-peer learning and support is consistent throughout the whole semester and also in their other courses as well. Okay. I then present a bunch of research questions. So, Mm -hmm. really, they're just topical things that are relevant. At the time so okay. whatever might be a big deal at the time we cover things like um, the use of performance enhancing substances uh-huh. or it might be you know what's your opinion on resistance training in adolescence in okay. the prepubescent adolescence mm-hmm. um, or the efficacy of Tai Chi for balance if you're okay. interested in sometimes we get Chinese medicine students picking up this as an extra subject. Oh, okay. Um, so I give them all oh, the gut microbiomes, another one, that real <laughs> personalised nutrition, yeah, yeah, anything that's kind of a hot topic, yeah, and so I'll give them a whole bunch of options that they can choose from. And they pick that topic in week one, okay. and pick a, a partner who's also interested in the same topic. So they get to bond over something. That That's a lot like, of choice making you, in week
0: yeah, one. I don't. You don't want to get that wrong. Yeah,
1: no. So they're um, doing a lot of bonding in week one. Cool. So once they've picked their topic, everything else is quite scaffolded throughout, okay. basically the next eight weeks. All right. So every single week they come in and we do something else to add another level of skill to what they're covering in relation to that topic. So, okay. that topic ends up being their major assignment piece. Okay. Um, where we might start off with things like um, learning about general academic integrity, research integrity, referencing. <laughs> yeah. Um, obviously, how to source scholarly uh, information from yep. Google Scholar and how to read and interpret scientific information. Okay, that's not easy. No, it's not. And another activity that I get them to do is actually rather than trying to review a paper, I yeah. would just take out the abstract of a journal article, Okay. give them the paper and ask them to write their own abstract. Oh, cool. And yes. so far- has thought to look up the original paper and just get the original (laughs) abstract. abstract. (laughs) And uh, I don't know if I should say this, but I bet many of the abstracts are better than the actual abstract (laughs) that came with the paper. I hate writing abstracts. Yeah, it's it's really, but it's so good because it's a way for them. And then we go through it as a class and... Everyone sort of then gets to have a feel of what is the really critical information. So, Mm -hmm. have you told us how many participants there were? Have you told us whether they were male or female or, you know, included both or whatever? Have you given us enough information on the methods and described the main findings? So, anything that's missing by the time we've gone through the whole class's examples, yeah. By the time they have to write abstracts, which they're doing, it's an exercise science degree pretty much for the next three years, Mm. they're writing papers um, for their practical classes. So, the skills have translated a lot into their second and third years. So, that's really nice. Um, So, in terms of the content then, I'm thinking presumably you're using, you're giving them something which
0: tells them teaches them about basically recent math stuff, sampling yes. or, yep. you know. So, um, that's more in the lectures. So, that's coming
1: across in the lectures. Yeah. And then the, right. Okay. Yep. So, I just trialed last year for the first time, which I think had some hiccups, but we're on the right path um, rather than a traditional lecture where... It was more problematic in the later half of the semester when we were doing stats and the students had to sit through a 2-hour stats lecture oh going gosh, yes. I can't do this. No, that's just the So, worst. yeah, so I scaffolded the tutorial classes where I knew I would have them face to face and then developed some kind of online support modules. Okay. So I took the key information and gave them sort of 10 or 15-minute videos that they could watch before class to give them that background information. And then in class is when we really talked about it. So any of the discussion points like what would have made my previous lecture more of a lectorial brought into the tute and um, the videos went online. One downside that the students really liked learning that way and they Mm. felt that that scaffolded um, learning each week was really good. But one of the downsides that I found to that being first year first semester students was that it was one extra day that they had to uh, one less day that they had to be on campus and so the whole point was we're trying to engage them trying to Mm. increase their sense of belonging but then by taking away that extra day they had to attend campus meant that they weren't on campus as much and weren't immersed in that university culture as much yeah so a bigger picture consequence of a single course level decision yeah. was something I wasn't expecting. I know, that's interesting. Yeah.
0: I was just because I was just thinking about one of the things I always struggled with. You do, especially at that first year level, you need to give them something on data analysis. Yes. But you can't teach all the data analysis no. in that big chunk. So it's, it's knowing, you know, what to give it, what to yes. give and how to give it. And yep. I think video is probably quite an interesting way of
1: getting that across. Yeah, so, um, yeah. That's so what after we've done all the theory around the research methods yeah. itself, they're concurrently doing another course which is basically an introduction to exercise science course. So mm-hmm. in that course they do get to do the running, the jumping, the throwing. Right. Yep. And so I liaised with the coordinator of that course and mm-hmm. said, can you tell me all the data that you're collecting? We've Brilliant. got a shared Google Sheet. So the oh, students fantastic. go to that course, yep. they collect all their data, but then they come to my class and based upon what they've collected, we analyse it. in real time. And the thing that's been really nice about that is it is absolutely raw. So, if the students make a mistake and they put in their height in metres instead of centimetres, all of a sudden we have got an outlier. We've got 1.7 instead of 170. So, that is the perfect teaching opportunity. I see these things like, yeah, yeah. you know, straight off the bat, but I don't correct them. Yep. We go through the whole process of checking for normality and looking for outliers. And then that is the teaching point going, see, you made a mistake, but this statistical approach allowed us to pick up on that. Absolutely. And so that's been really helpful. So as the course progresses, I kind of, um, I made another decision to do stats in Excel rather than SPSS Ooh. or something more <laughs> advanced. Mm-hmm. Um, My main decision for that was because there's so many different pathways in exercise science and when they graduate, I wanted them to have an approach that they could use anywhere and not be limited to only being able to do their stats if they had access to a specialist software.
0: Yeah. And that's a good, that is a problem with SPSS
1: especially because it's expensive. It is. The education sector. So So, exactly. And so the main focus, and I emphasize this right from the start, is that all I want them to learn mm-hmm. is the statistical process. Yeah. So understand what type of data you have. Yeah. Understand how to determine if it meets the um, requirements for parametric testing. Yeah. And then if it does, if you can determine what type of test is the appropriate test for your data and what question you want to answer, you can go to Google and say, "How do I do a paired samples <laughs> t-test in <laughs> blah?" Yeah. And as long as you get the test right, you can find out how to do it. exactly. Anything will churn
0: out the number at the end of the result. Yeah, Yeah. I think that's absolutely right. And and of course, that gives them the knowledge and the skills they need to be able to critically review published research that's coming out. And, you know, that equips them to say, well, the weakness in this study is, you know... Exactly. Blah, 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 blah.
1: Well, um, and and it's amazing to see by say week 11 that students are actually starting to identify when statistical approaches may not have been appropriate. Mm-hmm. And we do things like um, we'll run an independent sample t-test and then also a paired sample t-test and almost always one will be significant <laughs> and the other's and not. The other's not. Yeah, and yeah. so I'll say to them, why? Why is this the case? Yeah. And that I think those real data examples like it's their data that they're analyzing and yep. they're the ones coming up with the questions so i'll say you get to pick do you want to see whether left-handers are different to right-handers or males are different to females or tall people are different to short people or ha- what questions do you want to answer yeah um and they buy into it because it's their data or they want to know where they sit yep. in all of their performance in their results and so they're actually really motivated to learn how to do the stats to Mm. find the answers to those questions.
0: Yeah, I guess it takes that level of mystery that kind of veil yeah. of, you know, mystique away from the data set yeah. and if you're actually involved in it.
1: And they're so competitive. Oh, they really. all want to know. Oh, of course yeah. they are because they're, they're sports, sports scientists. <laughs> yeah. What, what so they're I'm so into? competitive as soon as you add an element of competitiveness to it. Who was who could jump the highest? Yeah. Who could throw the furthest? Who could lift the heaviest? They're so into it. They want to know what their percentiles were. They want to know. And then I'll say, "Okay, so can you tell me who the best um, best performing sportsman is in our class. Mm. And then that is how we bring in things like um, using percentiles because obviously you can't compare something that is in centimetres to something that is in seconds. So doing things like that's been really helpful. Very helpful, I'd imagine. And very applied and practical. um, But... You have to think a lot, don't you? This isn't easy teaching. No, it's not the typical (laughs) kind of you prepare for your class, you show up, Mm. you deliver the prepared class, you go home. That's one thing that has been problematic. So not problematic, it just takes a bit more planning and my own confidence to think on my feet. So if I wasn't confident in this stuff, it probably wouldn't work so well. But having a lesson plan and being able to say, Today, I know that I want the students to learn how to do a repeated measure Zenova. Yep. They don't know that. I don't have it on the syllabus. that today, we're learning how to do a repeated measure over. The idea is I set up a scenario where we've got data that is appropriate that the statistical test they would come to would be that. Yep. And so they end up doing it, but I haven't told them this is what we're going to learn the, today. I love that because
0: immediately you start to use that terminology, a barrier goes up. Yeah. Um, yeah. And it's the same in a book. You know, you pick up any stats book and the chapter on another test or whatever it's yeah. going, oh, you know, your heart sinks, you feel... Anxious, whatever. Yeah. You you don't want to engage with it. So it's. No.
1: And doing just simple flow diagrams that says how many samples are there? Are the parametric assumptions met? If so, which test do we run? What's the non parametric equivalent? Mm. So, doing things like that where the students are the decision makers at every step. If they reach the wrong decision, then they end up doing the wrong test and that's very easy to identify. So, we can go back and say, well, this is where you made the error and this is how you fix it. Yeah, which is good because it sends that message that, you know, you you can go
0: back and fix these things sometimes and it is about questioning yourself and testing yourself and that's why peer review is so important and peer collaboration. So, that's good. Is any part of the the syllabus or the curriculum not translated well to this kind of approach? Nope. No, so that's good.
1: No. One thing that I probably would say is qualitative research Mm. because that's a really interesting one in exercise science in particular because it's – most of the things in exercise science tend to be quantitative. Yeah. So we do cover qualitative research methods. We do have a tutorial on qualitative research methods mm. um, and we do a little bit of coding and stuff like that. So I get the students to answer all these questions on a um, survey about things like their background, their what order they are in their family, yeah. what, I just a whole heap of questions. And then I ask them to... Basically, come up with some coding and tell me what the qualitative outcomes mm. were for their chosen question, and that's really interesting. But I think could be done better. Yeah, it takes time, though, doesn't it? That's it does. the problem with qualitative. Yeah,
0: and um, something quick like that, I can see that working quite well because you can either have you can even have the paper bits and scissors, and you know that's how I learned qualitative methods yeah. as a student originally. It's that sorting and visually. Playing with words, yeah, and
1: the theming, yeah, because I limit them to <laughs> yeah. three themes. Yep, that's so, good. So, yeah, so how can these vastly different answers fit mm. together in three overarching themes? Yeah. and the students kind of struggle with that because they're they're so prescriptive. They want to go mm. agree, disagree, neutral. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> it's but it doesn't work
0: like that. It's so. a lesson in itself, isn't it? But yeah. yeah, I
1: can see why that
0: might be challenging, but. Um, presumably, they get the opportunities to pick this up later yeah, and build on of these course, things later. Yeah. So that's definitely um, That's good. What benefits
1: do you think these changes have made to the students? What changes have you seen? Well, Mm -hmm. I'm in a really unique position with teaching because I teach first year, second year and third year. Mm -hmm. So, Mm -hmm. when I first came and I was teaching third years in my – literally two weeks after I arrived at RMIT, I was teaching third years – And as part of that course, they had to do a major project and had absolutely no idea, firstly, how to use Excel. They had no idea how to use Excel. They had done their stats in SPSS. And unless I told them what statistical test they needed to run, if I said you need to do an ANOVA, they could go to SPSS and run an an ANOVA. Click the button and pull down the menu. Exactly. But they didn't know how I knew they needed to do an ANOVA. And so that was really enlightening for me to go, oh, They need to know how to arrive at that. Um. So, in terms of the benefits, I'm now seeing, so my first year that I taught this, I had in second year last semester of 2019, and they had to do a project in that. It wasn't as independent because they had to write up a lab report, but it still had inferential statistics. Oh, okay. And they all, I gave absolutely no help. Mm. every one of them actually arrived at the correct statistical approach for the prac that they chose. That's great. And after they had done that, because they had to submit like a proposed approach (laughs) to writing up their lab report, and after they had done that, I then gave them some more guidance. Right, But they all arrived at that themselves. So actually seeing how this is playing out throughout their degree, they all know how to use Excel now and basic formulas and... Um, functions of Excel, mm-hmm. they which obviously is used in just about every class. Yeah, yeah, yeah. transferable. Yeah, um, I one thing that I would love more feedback on, which I haven't got yet, is if it's helping in placement at all. Because oh, right, okay, all of our students have a requirement of 140 hours of professional placement. Okay, um, but yeah, definitely in the classes that I'm teaching them and even talking to colleagues, their skills around how to as the course is called data collection, analysis and interpretation. Okay. Their skills around those things are much better. Yeah. Yeah.
0: What about the assessment and sort of, you know, going back to that very first week, next Monday presumably yep. when, you know, they pick that really great subject that or topic that they like and they're gonna go and do it. What happens? Yep.
1: So, so over that- over those first introductory weeks when mm-hmm. we're teaching them Okay, you have got a question. Yep. We are going to find a scientific answer to that question. Mm-hmm. So I need to teach you well, what is scientific information? Uh, how do we get it? How do we reference it? Then how do we write about it? Yeah. So over those several weeks, they have to produce a uh, literature review. Yep on their topic, and then that transitions into learning about research methods and how to scaffold research mm-hmm. methods. And so all of your considerations like your sample size, mm-hmm. what, uh, how will you control for things, yeah. all of those considerations. So their major assignment is kind of a progressive assignment where mm-hmm. we work on consistently, Great. and so they submit a literature review and a research plan. Okay. So basically like a research proposal where yeah. you've got your background and rationale all Supported by mm-hmm. scientific evidence, and then your methodology section saying, "Well, based off this study that did this, I'm going to do this," and based off exactly, and it gets them into the uh, routine of not just picking their methodology willy-nilly. It okay. has to actually have a rationale and be supported by studies that have used it previously mm. or whatever. Uh, and so that is the first part. And then the second part is um, tutorial tasks that are based around their statistical output. Yeah, outputs. so performing the actual. Yeah, exactly. Uh,
0: do they get a chance to see each other? I'm just thinking like the first week and you've got the big bars and everyone's picking different topics. Is that, you know, do they share that as they go along or does it become a very enclosed
1: yeah no not really so they're working in their own groups and they are working on it in class progressively yeah so things like our abstract task they then get the opportunity to work on their own so they don't specifically share it in a class setting but we are working on it um collectively yeah and i guess if they're not actually doing the research there's Actually, not that much to No, there's not. It's going to start to feel a bit repetitive. Yeah, exactly. um, (laughs) The same method. I do get them to... Because as I said, they get to pick whatever question yeah. they want with, this, with the data. So, uh-huh. I've got a whole data set. There's about an N of 60 every year. Um, and so, it's not sorted in any way, shape or form. It's literally just a bunch of names down the side. So, they can sort the data in any way they like and answer the questions on whatever variables they like. Sure. Um, so, I do get them to present that. Mm-hmm. So, they've got to do a written presentation or in proper, you know, mm-hmm. the appropriate way to report yeah a t-test and then explain those results. So, you know, with your your degrees of freedom and understanding, (laughs) you know, and even through the um, tests of normality, getting them to understand, well, when do we want it to be below 0.05 and when don't we want it to be below 0.05? And what does this mean? And so they then present that To the class, and by the time because I give them a script to use, (laughs) so they'll say, This was below 0.05, so therefore we. And they have to (laughs) say, accept or reject the null hypothesis. And because it's so repetitive, they there might be 10 different groups in every tute that do that. Yeah. But the script is the same for each. And so it sinks in and so they just go. It's like they look at 0.05 and they immediately know, are we accepting or rejecting the null hypothesis? And I'm resentful now. I wish someone had taught me this <laughs> because that is, that is the hardest bit. It is, is. Knowing how
0: to yeah take what you see in that screen, exactly. on that screen and put it into words.
1: Yeah, and so with <gasps> with normality where we're going, okay, so if 0.05, they just get it in their head that it always has to be below and you go, no, okay. So we want there to be like not much change in variance. So therefore we don't want it to be below 0.05. And so that starts to sink in that, by the end of the semester once we've repeated it for four yeah, over weeks and over straight again,
0: and it, yeah, <laughs>
1: yeah photocopied the, they do the laugh and... it, it does become a bit of a joking class because it does get repetitive but it's it's very effective
0: good and yeah. i think the laughter is good because we all need more of that in Yeah. that's uh, but no it's, it you know it humanizes it and, yeah. and it, everyone becomes part of the the enterprise if you like and yeah. the, the must contribute to your belonging as well yeah thinking in terms finally then about um your experience, and maybe that of the teaching team as well. Um, what's been the biggest challenge or nightmare, do you think?
1: Uh, I would probably say the planning hmm. initially. So, me mapping out, liaising with the other coordinator, mapping out exactly what sort of data that we would have. Yeah, And then I knew what statistical tests I wanted them to learn, Yeah, but planning classes to be able to arrive at that statistical test. Yeah. yeah. So it was almost manipulating the situation before we walked into the classroom without disclosing to the students this is what we're learning today. Yeah. And I think it was very interesting because the students already as first semester, first year, the students already have this perception. And I don't know if it comes from high school that mm. every lesson has to have objectives. Yes, And we are very strongly urged to have at the start of every of lecture, this is what we're In going to cover. This. Yes. Exactly. And so I find that really tricky because yes. I can't tell them this mm. is the learning objective because I don't want to tell them what they have to do. I want them to be able to problem solve and figure that out. And it's been interesting getting some feedback from students going, "Oh, I wish there were clearer objectives for the lessons. And I sort of, I don't really know how to handle that because I know that the objective is for them to arrive at this. But I think part of that non-disclosure is the whole point of how mm. I want them to learn, so that's been a little bit of a challenge. But definitely, the planning was um, was tricky. And another thing that I implemented last year, um, there's a textbook that we're using where I engaged with the publisher of that textbook, who uses Sapling Plus, which is an online adaptive learning module. Okay. So for the specific statistical tests that I ran, uh it was very separate to the course and it was optional, but if anyone was struggling with stats, they could go and do this adaptive learning module. Oh, okay. And the really cool thing about that was they would do all these activities and the algorithm in the system would determine what their strengths were and what their weaknesses were. Oh. And if they met all that, like if their strengths met some threshold that I mm. could set, then the next lot of questions would just focus on their weaknesses. Yeah. And at every weakness, it would then give them a little section of text to read to help them understand why they're not understanding okay. that. Yep. Um, and so, again, I think the preparation for that Took a lot to map because it's not a textbook specifically for my course. Yeah. But trying to map that with my course and what I wanted them to learn, without giving too much away that that's what we were learning. Right. Yeah, yeah. It's it was yeah it was a lot of preparation. Yeah, that does sound challenging. Yeah, but now that it's prepared, it's as easy as rolling it out. Yeah. Every semester. Yeah, that's so. It.
0: Presumably, the textbook doesn't really change. No. No. Um, Research methods tends not to develop too much, I guess. Yeah,
1: exactly. And so my only issue is this flow on effects. So if the other subject changes, then that has flow on effects for mine, because my entire data for my whole research method subject is reliant upon the prax from another subject. Wow. So it definitely requires communication.
0: Definitely, yeah, <laughs> yeah you don't want that going wrong. Um, any
1: other benefits for you as a teacher? For me as a teacher, well, it changed your world. <laughs> As I spoke about all the prep that went into it, but now there is literally no prep. Great. So, as long as I know that I've got the data Mm -hmm. and I've set up that data, and I will always do a quick run through of the analysis myself because Excel can be really picky (laughs) if there is one random space in a cell or one random dot somewhere or anything. Excel just won't spit out output. So, i need to troubleshoot that stuff. I won't fix it. Yeah. I'll just troubleshoot it for know, myself. Yeah, so Exactly. Yeah. So that I don't get, get in class and go, oh, no, I wasn't prepared for this. Yeah, just talk amongst yourselves while exactly. I- Exactly. Yeah, while well, I assessment. spend 15 no, minutes good, trying to find a random space in yeah. so many Red cells. Tops. But the benefits now is that from a semester by semester um, mm-hmm. delivery- everything's prepared, everything's done. In terms of before class, I'm teaching this on Monday and apart from preparing my Canvas site and updating a few um, things in my modules, I don't need to prepare before class because it's really the students and their engagement and interaction with it that changes how it rolls out. Sure. And yeah, your focus and your energy
0: can be on the going in and you know the being you, yeah. and being enthusiastic, yeah. and, you know really concentrating on that stuff. That's good. Finishing up, then going back right to the start of the story, failing course. <laughs> has it has it
1: worked? Yes, CES is. So we've got um, the awards for outstanding, see, C- like student experience. Yep, and um, yeah, students are really happy. So CES is up in the nineties now and the students have really really positive feedback about it so as i said apart from the feedback that meant that they weren't on campus yeah Uh, And that's something to work with and explore. Absolutely, yeah. 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 That's not a a terrible problem to have. No. That's actually quite interesting. Exactly, it was. It was really fascinating Uh, and that was also a bigger picture thing because another one of their core courses in first year went fully online the same year that I took some of mine online. So I think that was a bigger picture thing but, yeah. Okay, I think you're right. I think you have cracked the Da Vinci code. (laughs)
0: Um, Thank you, Ash. It's been really good to have an insight into your teaching and thank you for opening up your classroom doors. And I'm sure lots of people, especially those involved in teaching research methods across the disciplines, uh, will be inspired by your ideas and anyone interested in following up can find all of the contact details and um, some supporting resources on our blog page on SISTER. This has been Open Classrooms, episode 23, recorded at our MIT University in Melbourne.